Today's New Testament reading is the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the twelfth chapter. And they sent to Jesus some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And Sadducees came to him, who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. This is the word of the Lord. For today's meditation on God's Word, we welcome Pastor Dustin Beck. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus' message is boiled down to that of Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believe in the Gospel. But a message like that entails a very few difficult-to-hear truths if you happen to be a Pharisee, a Sadducee, or a Herodian. First, that this preacher from the furthest corner of Palestine has authority to speak on behalf of God. It's happening, Jesus says. Right now, the kingdom of God is here. And as Jesus' ministry unfolds, we come to learn, alongside his enemies, that Jesus is saying nothing less than that he himself is the king. Repent. That word is a dagger to the proud heart of every person who hears it. You are not perfect. You are riddled with sin to the core. And on account of that sin, you must confess. Confess that you are in need of saving. That you don't have all the answers or have everything in this life or the next figured out. Admit it. You need saving. And the opponents of Jesus were, by and large, totally unwilling to admit it. 
And so as the Gospel of Mark unfolds, we see gathering forces, voices speaking against Jesus, challenging him with questions whose answers were sure to trap Jesus, to discredit Jesus, to leave him picking a side and leaving the rest out in the cold. Would he side with the Pharisees? How about the Herodians? Maybe the Sadducees? Whose champion would Jesus be? The traps were set. Taxes to Caesar on the one hand, and on the other, a hypothetical woman married over a half dozen times. A scenario dreamt up by those who said there is no resurrection. But Jesus is far more clever than that. I recently saw a TV show in which the main character, when surrounded by enemies and caught in what appeared to be an inescapable trap, called out, big, big mistake, really huge. Didn't anyone ever tell you there's one thing you never put in a trap? The enemies responded by asking, and what would that be, sir? The hero's response, me. Jesus wouldn't be caught in the traps of Mark 12. But fast forward just three short chapters later, three days later in Jesus' life, and we find that a betraying kiss, some false witnesses, an enraged mob, and an indifferent governor meant certain death for our Lord. I'm sure the disciples thought that those enemies had finally caught up with him. He had outsmarted them for the last time. He had seemed so invincible so untouchable. How could this have happened? What they didn't see was Jesus stepping willingly into the open trap that has been laid for all the children of Adam and Eve ever since they fell into that first snare ever placed, that they could be like God, knowing good and evil and being themselves gods. Jesus endured death, even death on a cross, in order that he, the author of life, might rewrite mankind's story. And that's exactly what he has done. Christ broke the trap of death from the inside out. He himself is the firstborn of the dead, the risen one. And now, now we can confess. Alongside the centurion who watched him die, the only man in Mark's gospel to do so, that this is the Son of God. He is the king. I am not. Therefore, every doubting trap that is laid in my heart must be silenced, disarmed. And when I hear the word of the Lord, the only response that will do is to repent and to believe in the gospel. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.